I am Patrick Yeos, National President of Fraternal Order Police. This is the Blue View. Thank you for joining us on the Blue View podcast. I, I, first, before, before we even get started, let me tell you how, uh, how much I appreciate the work that you've done working with us, especially this last Congress. And we've had some successes this last Congress, but, but even going back your entire time in the Congress, you've always been a, a strong advocate for, for law enforcement. I want you to know how much we really, really appreciate that. Well, Chief Yeos, um, this is what I like to do. Yeah. Well, uh, and I learned it from being a mayor. Mayor Patterson, which is the third largest city in, in New Jersey. And in Patterson, with one T, <laughs> in, in Patterson, I was always close to the police and fire departments. Yeah. And uh, I felt that if you want a strong city, you have to make your two most important departments stronger than ever. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you're not working on it, there's something wrong. Because you can't say we're done. We're finished yeah. because we're never done. Yeah, and 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 to protect the resources of our city. And so people have to be educated about what cops and firefighters do. They think they know what they do, yeah. but you got to go out. You got to go out in the, in the field to see what the heck happens. When I became a congressman, two years later, uh, Congresswoman, I don't know if you remember McCarthy. Her husband was killed in a, 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 a was shot in a in a uh, subway in Patterson, New Jersey, and his, her son had a bullet lodged in his head. I, and that's how I met her. Before I was a congressman, I went to the hospital. I didn't know these people, yeah. just to see them. And we're grappling with the problems as much now as we were twenty five years ago. Well, yeah, well, we appreciate uh, we appreciate uh, the cornerstone cornerstone of, of every community is is safety, and if people don't feel safe, all of these other things really take a backseat to it. So I, I appreciate I appreciate you you know your 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 support of our profession over the years. Let let's back up a little bit, and I got you know our viewers and listeners. Let, tell them a little bit about yourself, please. Well, uh, I'm 86 years old. I'm proud of it. Uh, I've got a lot of energy, perhaps too much, ask my <laughs> wife. Uh, and I've always been close to, to police officers, uh, not as a club, but as the serious nature of their business, that if I'm a public official and I'm just waiting for a crisis, that's not the way to do this at all. We've got to avoid crisis. In order to do that, we got to do something. We got to do things about benefits. We got to do things about protection, about having police out there who have the resources themselves. I mean, look how long it took us to pass the legislation just to use automatic data in order to trace guns. Yeah. When I learned this, I got. I read this wrong. Can't be. <laughs> Cannot be. Because if we're going to do like we say we're going to do, we're going to protect police officers out there in the field. How in God's name did we succumb to that? And that had bipartisan support. And it sounds a little logical. Yeah, yeah. I think that this is important. We not put this on, an, on the automatic thing and not realizing, of course, that we're going to protect criminals for the most part. Yeah. And, and we're not going to find out who owned the gun in the first place. So... You know, <laughs> all that looks the same as not. It's uh, 
something I have to attend to. I, I, I lived all my life in Patterson, New Jersey. I uh, went to school there. I went to St. John's Grammar High School and St. George's Grammar School. So I went to schools, my schools in the, the lower grades in Patterson. Then I went to Fordham University. I wanted to be a baseball player. And my mother and father didn't like the idea, uh, Chief Yos. They thought that this was a, going to be a path to nowhere. And the more they said it, the, more, the harder I tried to be a ball player. I had a couple of tryouts with the Phillies. Uh, and uh, I, I thought I was going places. One of my semi-pro coaches told my father, you know what, he can make the majors, no question. He said, but he don't have enough time for practice. He's more interested in school. And I said, I said to myself, that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> <laughs> Being interested in school. Fordham was... You know, they bailed me out in terms of what I thought I could do. Yeah. And it was a great university, and, and I'm still attached to it. Uh, went to graduate school there as well because my father wanted me to be a lawyer. My mother wanted me to be I was going to be the neighborhood lawyer. There were no <laughs> lawyers in my neighborhood in yeah. South Patterson. And uh, I said to my father, broke his heart, about a month and a half before law school was to start. I said, Dad, I don't want to be a lawyer. And my father got up and he said, you know, are you crazy? He said, what do, what do you want to do? My father worked for the railroad. He, he uh, had an office job. He cleaned the office. <laughs> he used to bust his brother's chops because they were in the railroad and they were all shovel guys. They worked their rear ends off. And my father had this office job cleaning the office <laughs> well i would tell you i've worked the railroad and i've uh, shoveled those rocks and they don't they don't move very well that's a that's a very difficult <laughs> job so so well played <laughs> I know. yeah and my father i had to promise my father that i would never go for a job at the railroads later on in life i had a promise because he did not did not want me to be a railroad guy because they didn't treat their employees that well as better as good as they he thought they should be, and he was right. But he worked also uh, on the on the uh, the wharf. Uh, after he finished his day job, he went and worked on the piers, and uh, he'd come home late to eat at supper. And I, know, I appreciated these things. I was very close to my dad. So to tell him that I wasn't going to law school was not easy. And the second thing I had to tell him was, well, what are you going to go get your master's in? I said, well, I decided to do this, Dad. Maybe you better sit down when I tell you. <laughs> so he, he was seated. I says, I am going to go and get my master's degree. He said, yeah. And, and he looked at me, didn't move his head, and walked. I said, well, I'm going to get my master's degree in philosophy. He stood up from the Italian porcelain kitchen table. <laughs> he stood up and he said, what the hell did I raise? <laughs> it was the best move I ever made. Yeah. I did it in three years. I got my master's in a couple of languages. And it taught me a lot more about discipline. I was a street guy from Patterson, New yeah. Jersey. And... Uh, so for Patterson, New Jersey, I went to the Bronx, New York, <laughs> at Fordham University, and, and it, I viewed life in an entirely different way. Uh, 
I didn't do that well in undergraduate school. You know, I had to do some, had some fun, played sports. Uh, but I certainly uh, worked my tail off in graduate school. Yeah. And it was very successful. And I went to teach, on uh, to teach. And at that time, I started teaching at about $5,200. And I went into the service, uh, fulfilled my responsibilities. And from the service, active duty, I went into the Army Reserve. And uh, I met a lot of good people, a lot of great people. And I was almost involved in the Bay of Pigs thing, which didn't happen, so we were ready to go. And uh, I was a teacher for 12 years, and then after that, I went to work for government. Probably my first big mistake, but, you know, I enjoyed <laughs> it. I worked for the government of Patterson. Uh, they treated me well. Um, I was director of policy and planning, and after I got my master's, uh, and I was out of the service, uh, and I liked working in, in government. I liked it service, yeah. get help for people. That's great. And I've been in government since I was the mayor of Patterson. I, I served for seven years because then I left and ran for Congress. And I ran, I was a state legislator, got even closer to police officers. And uh, I'm very lucky. I got a beautiful wife. I got a beautiful family. They tolerate me. <laughs> the shenanigans of politicians you know, not away from your home. And I don't have to tell you about that yourself. You're president of a great organization, and duty calls. Yeah. And you could say, well, I, my family's more important, which it is. No doubt. But the point of the matter is that you also have an obligation to the men and women you serve. And it's not easy. Yeah. It was not easy for me. Yeah, well, you obviously have a servant heart. Uh, thank you for your military service. And I uh, appreciate, again, all of your support for, for law enforcement. Your, your journey has, uh, has given you a great perspective, and, and we certainly do appreciate the, uh, you know, the, the, the support that you've given. I'd like to, to talk a little bit about last Congress. Now, you sure. were a big, big help last Congress on, on a number of our issues, uh, uh, the Protect uh, America's First Responders Act, the TBI and PTSD Law Enforcement uh, Training Act, and, and other law enforcement acts. We were able to get some things passed last year uh, with your help. Can you talk a little bit about those and the journey and what it's going to do for law enforcement? I think a, a good example, uh, Mr. President, uh, was the TBI bill. Because I started the organization along with a congressman at the time from uh, Pennsylvania, Greenwood. He was a Republican. I was the Democrat. I read a lot about it because I didn't know much about it. I read as much as I could, and I know I wasn't going to become a doctor, but I, I read as much as I could about traumatic brain injury. At that time, the United States government didn't put too much money into traumatic brain injury. And I went to uh, Jack Murtha, who had been in the Congress for many, many moons, was a Marine, 34 years. He told me, Talk to me about a pathway of how you're going to help the soldiers out there in the field because they had never fought a war where there was going to be mines all over the place and explosives all over the place. 
And there wasn't too much you could do about somebody who was really hit with an explosive in the field. Traumatic brain injury, post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, I went to work right on it, Mr. Green, Dr. Greenwood did. And we organized people from all over the country. And I local local folks who I knew, Clifton, right next to Patterson, their son had a bad experience, fell off uh, a bike, and uh, that was the rest of his life. Yeah. And I learned as much about it, introduced legislation. We put a task force together. We had a symposium every, every year. It's coming up this week, next week, rather. And uh, it was fa- fascinating, fascinating. So we were into CTE before the National yeah. Football League. We were into concussions. And the war is going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. And what we tried to do is kind of make sure that we're going to certify what's, what we're doing here. And we did it. We passed legislation. We raised a lot of money where there was no money really categorized in terms of brain injury. And we've been doing that every year. We went from a zero uh, budget to now millions and millions of dollars of research and actual help comes out of the defense budget. And we know how many people were injured in the Iraq and Afghan wars. Uh, And I went to the hospitals. I wanted to see. Seeing is the best learning rather than reading. That's second. I wanted to see for myself, and we did. We helped a lot of people, a lot of people, and we didn't help a lot of people. Yeah, that's uh, the and, uh, it's unfortunate side. Yeah, just uh, so much, so much need, and but we're still working on yeah. it, which is proof of the legislation we passed. We talk about it in the surf of the services, and we talk about it in athletics. But what about first responders? Where do they fit in there? Exactly. They're putting their lives on the line every day, and a major cause of is traumatic brain injury, TBI. So we passed that legislation, made money available, and testing is available, and uh, we're still working on that. We right. want to improve it as best as we can. Well, we appreciate appreciate your efforts with that. And, and PTSD, you know, at, in law enforcement is a lot like military. They're exposed to things that most people – uh, in, in average, uh, you know, just in, in other professions, never have to deal with. Uh, law enforcement officers, I'll give you, just to put it in perspective, an, an average person might have a couple, two, three traumatic events in their lifetime, and we know a traumatic event can, can change somebody both physically and mentally. Absolutely. Uh, but a law enforcement officer may have that in a week. That's right. Uh, and in the course of their career, some studies show they could have as much as 100 to 180 uh, in the course of their career. Somehow we think that law enforcement officers, somehow it doesn't affect them. Like you sniff our badge and somehow the, you know, the, the, the pain and, and, well, and, and all of these strategies go away. Well, you're expected exactly. for this to happen. Yeah. Isn't that nice? Yeah, well, I can tell you How that. How about it happening to you? Yeah. <laughs> I can tell you that when something, someone's broken in the service of others, uh, it's our moral and fiduciary responsibility to fix it. So I, I appreciate your your you know, your efforts in recognizing PTSD uh, and and helping uh, get us over the finish line, at least in discussions of starting a good start on on how we address PTSD uh, in our in our profession because it is sorely needed. We lose more officers every year to to the the 
the stresses of this job than we do in any kind of felonious action. You know, the, the strongest of needs will buckle under the weight of the world. And, and that can bridge over into a subject nobody wants to talk about, and that is guns. And I've never, I never went into that issue wanting to take guns away from people, legal people who have guns in order to protect themselves to go hunting, whatever it is. But I'll tell you what I found was effective, not because I was saying it, but because of what we were talking about, safety for police officers. How do you protect them? Not by having a photo op. You protect them by trying to reduce the possible attack on that police officer and what the attack is all about. You do not protect them by taking a gun away from a hunter. And I think we've crossed that bridge, by the way, Chief, uh, President. We've crossed that bridge. I think people begin to understand that. But we shouldn't just throw in the towel and say, well, guns don't kill people, people kill people. You know, these are people's lives who stood up to protect us. I want in every way for us to examine what are the ways to stop the police officer from putting himself in danger. That's yeah. what I want to do. Well, I mean, and the other bills, you know, that yeah. we talked about last year, took some time to get passed. Right. But you know what? If you do a one and out, you're never going to get anything you're done. Right? Not in the you're Congress right. of the United States. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Let's talk about the uh, Equity Act. Uh, you know, it's, it's such an injustice to, to, to people in his profession. It, it has a lot of different aspects to it. Uh, people working alongside each other, doing the same exact job, taking the same risk, doing the same exact functions. And in some cases, uh, some have one retirement system while the others have something that is, is definitely uh, just, just not fair. Right. It's not fair. So let's talk about the Equity Act. You've been a big leader of this uh, for a number of years. Disappointed. You know, we got 100 co-sponsors suggest that there's uh, some good good okay. support for it's it. It's there. But, but we can't seem to get it get it further. Well, uh, because we yeah. bump into each other all the time. And yeah, rather than so put aside the, any differences, you got to look at the bigger picture. The bigger picture is let's get it done. So, for instance, police officers, firefighters, teachers, can get Social Security. Yeah. So they have a guaranteed piece of the action yeah. when they begin to retire. That is the most foolish thing I've ever heard of in my life. Yeah. We're going to come back to that one. I want to talk, I really do want to talk about windfall elimination, government pension offset, Social Security, some reform of Social Security, but I'd really like to dive into the, the Equity Act because we have so many of our members that are affected by this, and it's just, you know, just like Social Security, windfall elimination, government pension offset, there is an inequity here in the system. People are hired to do a job, and depending on how they were classified when they hired, do the same exact job, but find themselves in different retirement systems. Crazy. Yeah, something doesn't make sense there. So No, and I think it really hurts attracting people to the profession. Well, absolutely. Look at the people we're losing. I mean, you're, you know, we're investing in, in training uh, people to do these jobs, and, and they're leaving, going into other professions because it's yeah. just because they, they're looking for some stability in their retirement, like they're the person standing next to them. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how we reconcile the fact that people doing the same job well, could have like two the, different benefits. It's like the people who are applying to, for a policeman's job, yeah. police officer's job. Yeah. And uh, th they're treated very differently when they're applying in a city where there's more dense population right. and where it's a different situation altogether. Yeah. But how are you going to attract people? That's it. you got to make the job a little more attractive. <laughs> 
than it is. We're in Equity a- is at the center of it. And our whole and system. And if they are hired, then they go to the suburbs a year later. That's it. Our whole system's built on equity. It's yeah. all built on fairness. Yes. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're, look, we're in an existential threat right now in law enforcement. I think uh, it is. The damage that has been done in the last two years has done two things. It's taking people in law enforcement. They're either retiring early because they can, or people are leaving and going in other professions because they see it as more stable. They are. And then we're seeing the best and the brightest. We've done so much damage to this profession, Leave. they're not applying. And it's a waste of, so, a waste of money that we've put exactly. into it. And, and at some point, something's got to give here. Right? Yes. And our communities are suffering. We look across the country and we can see examples. Well, I didn't think there was anything more important than equity. And yeah. I, I've been talking about this for 25 years, and we finally got a chance to change things. And I yeah. think the legislation is very powerful about what shall be demanded in the job and what you're able to provide for that job and what the job is going to pay in regard to that. Yeah. And I think we're, we're, we're getting there and we, pa- we passed the Rubicon and we are on our way to victory here. So what do you see coming in, in, in the new Congress with uh, the, the Law Enforcement Equity Act? Do you think I think yeah. I think we're torn between between making the job more professional, police officer, and at the same time forgetting about why we have police officers, and we can't do that. We can't out-professionalize ourselves so that it doesn't become the attractive job that it is, not realizing that within making it a pro- more of a professional job, it could be more of an attraction to people if the pay was consummate, if 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 we had reason to believe that people are going to come and make a career out of this and we save money the public saves money that we don't have to hire cops because some come in and leave in the back door yeah. we want people to stay yeah. well our federal counterparts our federal officers the ones that are affected by the uh, equity act they, yes. they, they need they need this relief because uh, it's just yes. one it's not fair uh, yep. for them to stand side by side and do the same job but at, at the same time we really do need to, to stabilize these professions. People are leaving because it's just not work. Look at it, the amount of money. Time to do it look at the money, the amount of money that's invested in, in people at these positions sure. that are leaving, going other, elsewhere to, to do jobs. That's, it's just not the most efficient model, and it's just not fair. So, and the, yeah. and the, the great majority, most police officers, are the finest human beings you can meet. We have to we have to communicate that more. Right. We, we you know words are words got to show people how many cops are parts of their community. Yeah. They don't live we are. 400 we miles away yeah. from the, their action. Yeah. But the point is, we assume that people don't assume anything in law enforcement. Yeah. If you do, you're going to be in trouble. But more and more people are listening. More and more congressmen are beginning to understand that instead of getting into the rhetoric of party philosophy about law and order, Gotta help us. Yeah. We should be getting into the rhetoric of human beings and their interaction in the community that, that they live. Because it has a lot to do about law enforcement. It has more to do to help the cop than anything else in the world. Yeah. Because even if you raise the pay in and of itself, it doesn't mean you can have a better yeah. police department. And well, you know that better than anybody. Well, we appreciate your efforts on uh, on the, on this bill, and uh, we're committed to, to try and help you. The, our federal counterparts definitely need uh, need that assistance. You know, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, I know you're on the Ways and Means Committee. Yes, sir. Uh, and windfall elimination, government pension offset is something that is so dear to so many of my members. Uh, you know, we, we look at uh, – 
you know, first, it's just a, a serious inequity in, in this entire there's in this entire uh, design of somehow law enforcement officers are, or in this case, any any public employee uh, who worked in the uh, public sector and did not pay into the Social Security system. Uh, and, and has their pension system, of which they were part of the contribution into their pension system, uh, go on to work and get qualified uh, in, in another profession or another job, uh, eligible for involvement, uh, eligible for Social Security. And because of that, there's a provision in the law, for those who are not familiar with it, what it does is it recognizes that you have two different public pension systems. That's right. One's one Social Security, one would be Talk your about public inequities. pension. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you know, we pay for both. Yeah. Uh, but somehow, because of that, there's a, there needs to be a formula applied to it. Now, if I was in private sector and I paid in a 401k, I'm not impacted by that. But somehow, uh, public employees are being adversely impacted on the fact that because they were public servants. And there's just, there's just a fairness problem there. We've got our members are struggling across this country, you know, trying to d- decide whether they buy medicine or food because they retired at a, that's at a pension. That's what it's come to. Yeah, that's, that's what our, they, they retired at a pension. It may have sound, you know, uh, you know, reasonable at the time, but now you advance forward, they're, they're not even entitled to get their Social Security that, no that every other American gets. I How started, do we fix this? I started to work on this 15 years ago. Yeah. I had a long conversation with Richie Neal, who's the was the chairman of uh, Ways and Means, is now the ranking member. And Richie and I talked about the public sector and the private sector and the advantages of each and the disadvantages. And we talked very specifically about cops, firefighters, uh, teachers, not being able to get into the Social Security system. And... We want to do something about it. We even we talked also to the chairman at one time and the uh, second in command at other times, uh, Kevin Brady of Texas, who's just who's just retired. Mm-hmm. Kevin was a fair guy. We didn't agree on much politically, but he was a fair chairman. He was understanding and he tried to work something out. He agreed with us. He said, we got to do something for those firefighters and cops and, and the teachers, and he meant it. And we, the three of us, would, as the discussion went on over the years, get a little closer to, to each other about the subject matter. And he was willing to look at legislation, read it, and maybe even vote on it. We didn't get that opportunity, unfortunately, about what we're talking about here, equity and Social Security. And it was just too bad he retired and we, we, we lost a good friend because he was very helpful with the situation. This is unacceptable, period, that police officers cannot become a part of the system. And they're paying into it. We had come up with a fair system. You know, uh, Richie and I would like to bring the bill up tomorrow, but we're, we want to make sure we have the votes. Particular bill, I think we're at 170 now, if I'm not mistaken, a co-sponsor. So we're on our way to 290 again. Yeah. And 290 should put us uh, either in front of in front of the House or it, or it should put us in front of the committee. And I'm just, uh, what do you see if we make it to, to I, the committee? I, I think both approaches can be joined together very easily. Yeah. Compromise, we do it, well, we don't do it much lately. But we need compromise on this issue. It's that important. 
Well, compromise is a little rare in D.C. <laughs> lately. But yeah. uh, you're right. We got we have to find a way to fix this. Yes. Uh, you know, but at the same time, uh, you know, put yourself in, in, in my position. And look, we're both in the same position. Yes. We, we're, we're serving a constituency that that's struggling with, yeah. with this. And, and any fix, you know, if, if we're going to recognize that there's an inequity here, we need to find a way to fix it for everybody. If we don't fix it for everybody, it's it's kind of a... Well, that's why you know, our bill yeah. did try to address that. Yeah. So... Well, good. So, so my guess is, is my, my, my goal is, is we're going to have it back in that committee pretty soon. And I'm hoping Ways and Means will, uh, will give us some path forward to where we can fix this inequity. Mr. President, I give you my vote right now. Uh-huh. I appreciate that. And any time I can be of any help, my door is always open. Yeah. My door is always open. I appreciate that. And in fact, the first thing I'm doing Friday is going to the promotion of our new police chief in Patterson, New Jersey. Cool. Great. I'm trying to get to all of those things when I'm in town. Great. And I think this is important. It's significant. It's significant that I am there. They're like, you know, talk is cheap. We're going to do this with cops, and we're going to do that for cops, and we wind up doing very little. So prove yourself. Make it important and significant for their themselves and their families. Yeah. There's nothing wrong in that. That doesn't mean you're mm-hmm. selfish. So I know you and uh, Congressman Rutherford, uh, a career yes. law enforcement officer, are part of the uh, law enforcement caucus. That is correct. Uh, let's talk about the importance of that caucus and what it's what it's doing and, and, and how it benefits us. Well, I think the caucus is important in tough issues that occurred in how we're going to bring justice to the police department. And there was a big controversy over that. I think there was much misunderstanding. I think it got out of hand. No one was particularly guilty, but we got out of hand, yeah. and we didn't solve the problem. Well, that we and, did not. And my message to police officers at that time is, look, we're not going to go into a situation and have justice for the police department by putting their homes up for sale, okay? Yeah. We're not going to do that. It's, it's not going to work, first of all. So maybe... Instead of that, we can, how about this? How about if we make the municipalities responsible? What's the upside? What's the downside to that? I said that this was going to happen, and the police, some of them, took the position that it's this or nothing. Yeah. Well. Well, That's where we are. Well, I I can, you know, look, we're at a, law enforcement is a very difficult task. Uh, you're at, we're asked to, to but show how up. How come every- you guys stood up and did the right thing? Well, how you you, you weren't any less pro cop when you did it. So, so I, look, I think anybody in law enforcement, our you know, our very powers we have as law enforcement officers are directly related to trust of our community. If we know anything, we know we have some work to do. Yeah, and, and there's a way to get there. Uh, there but, is, but they're all, but but in many cases, a lot of the things that came out of Congress during that period of time, or at least the discussions in Congress was void of a law enforcement perspective. Did and that's where we struggled with, uh, with all of it. It's very difficult. If we, you know, I sat with, uh, you know, personally uh, spoke with, with uh, Congresswoman Bass about, uh, about this very issue. We, t- we found you know, things in, in these bills that, that we can embrace. We thought were great. But when it came time to talk about the things that we saw that 
would destabilize what we're doing in the law enforcement profession, we didn't get an opportunity to talk about those. We didn't get a chance to testify well, before the House. Right. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm saying. I think there's nothing we can't solve if we all work together to do it. No question But, but the reality is, is when you look at a community, it is quality of life in a community, right. it, is direct, it is related to a whole lot Absolutely. of different functions, not just law enforcement. Absolutely. But law enforcement seems to be the one that carries the burden on all of well, these because we are the, you guys yeah, are the most, to, most visible. You guys are supposed to solve all the problems. <laughs> that's it. It's like the teacher in yeah. school who gets the kids – when they open up the door in the morning, all the problems come through the oh, door. Absolutely. Don't I know that? Solve it before yeah. you go home. Yep. It doesn't work that way. I worked way. in the schools for a number of years, and I can tell you, whatever happens in a community is that school's problem as soon as the bell rings. Yes. Yep, absolutely. No question about and, and in a lot of ways, fixing some of those things before they even go back home, uh, trying well, to trying to save lives. And those yeah. who are advocating, which there are only a few, by the way, yeah. who are advocating defunding the police departments, I'm busting my chops for 25 years to bring more money yeah, to the police yeah. departments. So we, we, we cannot color with the same paint. What we got to do is call out each person individually. Yep, absolutely. And that's the absolutely. best way to do it. Law enforcement officers across this country that suit up and show up every single day and make a difference. Uh, so when we find... Uh, you know, occasional times where, where something's not right. Even law enforcement officers look at it. So, you know, no one likes a, yeah. no one hates a bad cop worse than a good cop. And that's, that's the reality of it. But we're no different than any of the other, any other profession. It's, it's like teachers who I think turned the corner and questioned what was going on in the school. Teachers have to take a hand in things, but teachers cannot solve all the family problems and personal problems. No doubt. No, no. They may try to help the situation, yeah. but they can't do that. Yeah. And, no, no. and we got to understand that with cops going to work, they need some help too because the job is a stress job. We've lost way too much experience, and it's, it, you know what? It's and too, we lost too many lives. It's too damn important to not get it right, right. period. I agree. So how about if we leave it at that? So hey, I want to thank you. We're putting up with me for, for a little absolutely, while. Absolutely, absolutely. And I want you to know my phone and my door are open to you all the time. Well, well, well thank you very much. Uh, you're a great partner working on these issues. And I spend a issues. lot of time concerning law enforcement, believe it or not. Yeah. And I like it. Yeah. Well, I like it. And we appreciate it. I don't want to be a cop, but I like what you do. Yeah, thank and you. And we got to do it right. And well, we got to do it better. Hey, by the way. As a congressman, we need to do it better, too. Yeah. We all got skin in the game. There's a thought. Yeah, we all got skin in the game. So, so again, thank you. And to our viewers and listeners who tuned in to, to the Blue View, where we talk about the issues that are so vitally important in men and women who suit up and show up every day across this country, thank you. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. To get the latest from the National FOP, make sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at GLFOP and on Instagram at FOP National. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.